1: Hey everyone. So, think back. Your first semester of college. You walk into the room for Economics 101, or Microbiology, or Art History, whatever it is. You take your seat. The professor walks in, and the teaching assistant passes out the syllabus. It outlines the material covered, and the exam dates. Great. You know what to do. You're a good student. You'll be fine. But you quickly realize this isn't high school, and your parents are 2,000 miles away. You end up studying a lot, but it's all kind of trial and error, and you cram the night before the exam anyway. What you need is a study guide to help you know what and how to study, what works, what's not worth spending time on. And you need a study group to share notes. Well, forgive the analogy, but it's kind of the same thing for climate change. We know the exam is coming up, and unlike any of my college exams I thought were just so important, this one actually is. To be specific, without real action, the world is likely to hit 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels between 2028 and 2035. So, sooner than expected. That means this decade is critical to get things going. Okay, so countries and companies have begun to level up their decarbonization ambitions, many aiming to go net zero by 2050, but for the most part have not laid out clear pathways to getting there. They're putting themselves in the position of having to cram the night or decade before the exam, and at that point, it's too late. As I said, this decade is critical to get things going. But they need a study guide so they can implement a clear strategy and ace the exam. Well, Bloomberg has that study guide. Today, we've got BNEF Head of Energy Transitions, Luisa DeMoro, to talk about the Net Zero Pathfinders Initiative, just launched on the 18th of October. The idea is to provide a resource of actionable policy ideas and case studies of what's worked around the world to help policymakers and other stakeholders design and implement decarbonization strategies today. So, a study guide to help jurisdictions plan their climate strategies and figure out their study groups. And Luisa will mention this again in the interview, but go check it out at bloomberg.com forward slash netzeropathfinders, or Send in examples of what's worked for you and your stakeholders at pathfinders at bloomberg.net. As a reminder, BNF does not provide investment or strategy advice, and you can hear the full disclaimer at the end of the show. I'm Mark Taylor, and you're listening to Switch On, the BNF Podcast. Luisa thanks for joining.
2: Thank you for having me here Mark.
1: And welcome to London. You just moved over from São Paulo is that right?
2: Yes that's right moved uh, exactly a month ago.
1: Sweet right on just in time for it to get dark here all <laughs> the time. <laughs> I'm sorry we're pulling you away from the <laughs> summer over there but we're really glad to have you and we're really glad to have you on the show today to talk about what countries and companies by extension can do to reach net zero targets. Now Let's start off just by digging into that a bit. We're going to start this show with the assumption that climate change is a thing, that it's real, that it has dire consequences if we don't get it solved, all that. And one way to do that is by setting what are called net zero targets. Now, can you just start us off by explaining what a net zero target is?
2: A net zero target is simply aiming or establishing the goal that a country or a company we will produce less greenhouse gas emissions than it takes from the atmosphere. So not necessarily getting to zero, but getting to zero net emissions, which is by the way, really hard considering how we produce everything today. And when I say we, I'm referring to us as a society, as a as participants a of the economy. Yes. <laughs>
1: there you go. And everybody, I'm just so you know, I called called that out. I asked Lisa <laughs> to clarify that because I'm just really conscious that BNAF or Bloomberg, we're analysts, not advocates. And, and we're going to say we a lot in this, in this episode here today. And it's just going to refer to all of us collectively as the human race <laughs> or, or humans.
2: The reason why I say we is because we... <laughs> Or Mm -hmm. the word will not get to zero if every single person and company and sector and government player isn't involved in this race.
1: So now that we know what net zero is and, and what it's designed to do, can you describe for us the commitments that countries have made around that?
2: Six years ago in 2015 in Paris, the governments, most governments around the world have agreed to keep the increase in global warming below 2 degrees and to make efforts to limit it to 1.5 degrees.
1: Why is that important, 2 degrees and one point.
2: This is what IPCC, or the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, estimated. This is the maximum that we can increase global warming to limit catastrophic climate change effects. So that's why it's important. And I think a basic thing that's important to understand is we're not talking about reducing the global warming. We're talking about limiting the increase of global warming. So governments got together six years ago and they had agreed to make efforts to limit this global warming. And they do this by committing to take action and committing to limit CO2 emissions. However... Since then, we have not really gotten any better. Hmm. To be more specific, the IPCC estimates that emissions need to fall about 45% below 2010 levels by 2030 to reach net zero on 2050, so 20 years later. However, we have actually increased emissions by around 1.5% per year between 1990 and 2019. The good news is that over the past years, especially over the one year and a half, governments have started to take more action towards establishing net zero commitments. And today, about 75 countries that represent around 49% of global emissions have established a net zero target. The challenge is they don't actually know how to get there.
1: Okay. (laughs) That seems to be the the kicker there. So... If we can back up or, or recap, 2015, all these countries got together and said, hey, we want to reduce emissions to reach a certain target. And then you're saying kind of nothing, nothing's happened. There's some stuff, some efforts have been made, I guess we can get to that. But more recently, they're saying, okay, actually, we want to make a net zero target, but we don't know how to quite get there. Is that right?
2: Most are not saying we don't know how to get there, but the truth is they. Don't. It's a very hard job. There are a few reasons why it's very hard. First is we need to start acting right now because a lot of governments and the stakeholders in general are talking a lot about 2050, 2040, 2060, but we need to act now and we need bold action if we really want to change this emissions trend.
1: So if you leave it till 2040 to get started, you're never going to meet a 2050 target.
2: Then we're done. Another reason why it's very hard is because... It touches on every aspect, every sector of the economy. It touches on everyone's lives, which means that collaboration is key there. And Mm -hmm. to be honest, policymakers and many of the key stakeholders are not really good at collaborating. Right. Everybody's playing their own game, but it has to change if we're serious about getting there.
1: When you and I were talking about this before the show, you mentioned what countries have been trying has mostly been kind of trial and error up to this point. So they made their commitments in 2015. They made their net zero targets. They're trying to collaborate, it seems. But the things that they're actually doing are guess and check or trial and error. Is that right? Nobody has a a real clear strategy, as, as far as I can tell.
2: We're all figuring that out together right now, right? And when I say collaboration is key, it's not just about one country collaborating with another, which is important because the world has to learn from the other's mistakes about what works and what doesn't work. Otherwise, we're going to take way longer to get there, and we don't have this time. We, as the world, <laughs> we are as a society. <laughs> yeah, right. Also, It also means collaborating across all policy layers in one country, which means city-level policymakers collaborating with national-level policymakers, which is sometimes very hard. And it also means the stakeholders, finance sector, civil society, collaborating with government and collaborating among themselves. So collaboration is really a fundamental aspect to get there.
1: But we also understand that there there are challenges with this collaboration. Can you tell us a bit more about those challenges?
2: First, the challenges when we're talking about a transition to a new economy, we're talking about something that will touch on every single aspect of the economy and that will touch on everybody's lives, every industry, which means that it's not a job that can be done in isolation. In practice, we will need to see policymakers interacting with each other. We will need to see city-level policymakers working together with national level and international level to make things happen. And we will also need to see the finance sector, the civil society engaging with governments and other players. And To be honest, most of those stakeholders are not very good at collaborating. And the second challenge is that this is not something that we can plan a lot or only plan because we need to start acting right now. So this engagement has to happen right now because policymakers and other players are talking a lot about action for 2050, but we don't have this time to wait. So we need to get started really soon.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. So how do we get there? How do we get started?
2: This week, we have launched a new Bloomberg initiative that aims to help policymakers and other stakeholders solve those those questions. The name of the initiative is Net Zero Pathfinders. This is a new completely public initiative that aims to help policymakers and other stakeholders design and implement the carbonization strategies today not in 10 years, but today. And we also aim to help those players simplify their search for a climate solution. And we do this by leveraging content capabilities of many Bloomberg organizations and also many of our partners.
1: That's cool. How does it work? Walk me through it a little bit. So if I'm a policymaker and I want to make use of the new Net Zero Pathfinders initiative, what do I do? Is it like a reference library of like Projects that have worked, or is it a consulting service?
2: We have just launched a public website where we highlight the key challenges and the key solutions in the race to, to zero. And we also have a interactive library where policymakers and other stakeholders can filter by sector, policy layer, and key pillars, which I will touch on in a, in a minute of net zero strategies and find examples of what is working for others, what other policymakers have implemented that has actually proven to have effect and impact in decarbonizing some sectors of their economy or on leveraging financing, for example, or engaging the civil society to get to some successful decarbonization measure.
1: That's cool. So it's like a menu of things I can choose from that have proven to be successful in other jurisdictions, if I'm a policymaker.
2: Exactly. And the way we do that is we have organized those best practices around four key pillars.
1: Yeah, let's get into those. So in the Pathfinders initiative, I guess where I'm getting at is that that maybe this could be a start to the end of trial and error, that there are... I think you identified, as you said, four key pillars of things that work. Can you describe those four key pillars?
2: And before I do, we consider those four key pillars fundamental because they are relevant to all key stakeholders of the economy and all emitting sectors. The first pillar is accelerating deployment of mature climate solutions. The second pillar is supporting the development of new climate solutions. Third pillar is managing the transition and phasing out carbon-intensive activities. And the last one is creating appropriate climate transition government structures. So those are what we believe to be the fundamental aspects of any net zero strategy that a policymaker or even other private stakeholder can put together when thinking about their race to zero.
1: We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to make our way through each of these pillars and describe how they can be used to achieve net zero targets. Stay with us. okay welcome back let's just start going through them so number one accelerating deployment of mature climate solutions when i hear that i think that just means helping build wind solar and batteries is that right
2: it is right it's not limited to it but this is indeed a big part of this in this pillar we're talking about deploying right now the solutions that are low cost and widely available it includes for example wind and solar technologies, but it also includes storage technologies, deploying EVs and EV charging infrastructure, but also solutions, simple solutions such as boost walking and public mm-hmm. transportation, micromobility mm-hmm. in general, also encouraging sustainable food consumption, which is a key part of getting to zero. To give an example of like, why we need to act really fast, under the BNAF's new energy outlook, under the last report's green scenario, we, BNF says that getting to zero emissions requires 1.4 terawatts of renewables added every year over the next three decades. And at the moment, we have less than 1.7 gigawatts.
1: Everybody for scale, that's just a whole ton of renewables that we are not adding, that we, the world, that needs to be added to meet these targets. So there's just a lot that needs to be done there.
2: And to highlight how important it is to act fast and deploy fast the solutions that are widely available right now, BNF estimates under new green scenario, the new energy outlook green scenario, that to get to zero, we actually need over the next three decades to deploy per year, more renewable energy technologies that we have installed at the moment in the world.
1: Jeez. (laughs) I mean, I just read yesterday about what is there doing, trying to do a solar plant in China. Now, that's 100 gigawatts or something like that. <laughs> it's gigantic. But what you're saying is that, you know, things like this need to become more the norm than the exception. Yeah. Number two, what do we got?
2: Number two is about supporting the development of new climate solutions. And here we're talking about developing the technologies that are not widely available or low cost right now, but that right. will be key in the second phase after the Race to Zero. And I'm talking here about post-2030. Like what? Here we're talking about low carbon hydrogen. We're talking about carbon capture and storage, about...
1: Direct air capture, I guess.
2: As well, also, but also like deploying, developing electrification of planes, of ships, Mm. of other transports. And it's important to mention that if we really want to get to zero... We need to tackle every sector of the economy, not only the easy ones. So we need to start developing the technologies to abate the hard sectors right now. Otherwise, those won't be ready in 10 years.
1: So these are kind of like where wind and solar and others were, you know, 10 plus years ago. Yes. Right. So they're expensive and yada, yada. But now they're they're cheap and widely available, as you said. Yeah. So just starting down that, that cost curve for those other technologies, basically.
2: And it needs time, right? So we cannot wait to get this done. Number three? Number three is about managing the transition and phasing out carbon-intensive activities. And it's about really about two things. First is it's the transition won't be just about adding new clean technologies. We also need to retire and phase out the high-emitting technologies that are in our operating today. This includes coal plants, internal combustion engine vehicles, for example, and even high emitting heating sources. So we need to get rid of those as fast as we can, and especially start financing new ones. But also it's about the fact that retiring or phasing out those technologies also means that a lot of people will be impacted. So we need to make sure that the transition is fast, but also the transition is just and fair to those businesses and to those workers that have for a long time relied on those technologies.
1: Absolutely. I saw on TV last night during the Great British Bake Off an advert for the, (laughs) what is it, the new ultra-low emission zone for London, anything inside the the M25. And that's a change that's going to affect a lot of people. And so I think that's what you're saying. So it's managing this transition. I remember last year hearing about it, and then they've just been saying, this is coming. And then now they're saying, hey, this is coming next week. Yeah, Managing I'm the transition. Yeah. Glad I don't drive here. Yeah, hey, <laughs> there you go. But a lot of people do, right? And it'll yes. affect tons and tons of people. So yeah, this is super, super important.
2: And honestly, transition is not always comfortable.
1: No, geez.
2: It's it's for sure more comfortable than the impact of not doing it.
1: There you go. Finally, number four Creating appropriate climate transition governance structures. Now, this sounds like, when I read this earlier, I was like, "Ah, that sounds boring. But then you think about it like, oh, it's probably the most important one.
2: Exactly. (laughs) That's what I said. Like, those people don't engage much. And that's really key. And that's really key for many things. First, like, governments change in, like, really short period. Mm -hmm. So those players need to make sure that the climate plans and climate projects will remain, despite of who is leading a country or a city. This is part of it. But also part of it is creating mechanisms to make sure that different players engage across the government and across different stakeholder groups, and also creating mechanisms to encourage and to enforce commitments from others, such as from corporations. And finally, there is a big role for the finance sector to play there as well, and also for the civil society. In the finance sector, for example, it's really key to encourage climate-related financial disclosures, Mm -hmm. such as TCFD. And for civil society, those organizations have a really big role to play in driving social development and equality across the value chain. And this is very important because a very fast transition can have a good impact in many countries, especially countries that export, for example, raw materials. But this impact might be good or might be bad. And it really depends on how much attention we pay on it.
1: So, we've gone through all the four pillars of the Pathfinder project. And if I'm a policymaker, I will be able to find examples of cases where these things have worked for other jurisdictions. But where can I find out more? What can I do uh, to get started engaging with the Net Zero platform or organization?
2: First, the Net Zero Pathfinders platform is publicly available at bloomberg.com/netzeropathfinders. Website includes description of the, all those solutions, the best practices library, as well as a brand new report that we have launched, detailing those pillars and discussing what others have done that has proven to work. And a very important thing to mention before we're done here is we recognize that there's no single path to zero.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: We are not trying to give a final answer of what works and or what doesn't work. And as I mentioned, engagement is key. Mm-hmm. So this is supposed to be an evolving initiative that welcomes contributions from other players. So if you're a policymaker or a stakeholder that has implemented something that Works reach out to us, and we're going to be really happy to receive your contribution, to publish it on our website, and to discuss how we can continue engaging with you as well. And you can contact us at Pathfinders at bloomberg.net.
1: I mean, congrats on the release of the website or the launch of the website. And again, everybody, that's Pathfinders at bloomberg.net. Is there any next step that you're looking forward to with regard to the Pathfinders
2: initiative? The next step is really the engagement. Uh, we have launched the website we have made the report publicly available and now what we are really looking forward to is engage with new organizations with other policymakers to make sure that we are really a hub to highlight what works what can be done and how others can get there that's
1: fantastic this seems super needed and i look forward to hearing a lot more about it in the future again bloomberg.com forward slash net zero pathfinders luisa thanks for joining us
2: thank you mark it was a pleasure
1: Today's episode of Switched On was edited by Rex Warner of Greystoke Media. Bloomberg NEF is a service provided by Bloomberg Finance LP and its affiliates. This recording does not constitute nor should it be construed as investment advice, investment recommendations, or a recommendation as to an investment or other strategy. Bloomberg NEF should not be considered as information sufficient upon which to base an investment decision. Neither Bloomberg Finance LP nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this recording and any liability as a result of this recording is expressly disclaimed.